This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for April 12th, 2022. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You set up a one-time but recurring donation by hitting the little red box that says sponsor this show. And no obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Mike Spears, joined alongside my co-host and friend Case Lowe. In case I, I I I should just get it out here. This might be the most off the rails Mike Spears you're going to get for the next hour to hour fifteen minutes. What's crazy is that right before we slapped record, Mike Spears referred to himself as Daddy and I don't mean to expose you like that. I know you have a brand to uphold where you think you're better than everybody else because you don't get horny on main, but aggressively and firmly, this man, he, he called himself daddy. He became a barstool podcast for a second and I, hey. I'm still trying to recover from it. Uh, all I had to say is that I am traveling to the West coast for a wedding uh, starting tomorrow and got to get some Korean barbecue. The phrase was daddy's got to get himself some bulgogi. And that was what set you off. Oh, it's, it's uh, you know, a strangely on-brand statement from you. I wouldn't expect uh, Daddy's got to get himself to be followed by anything but that. And I it, look, it's not a call-out. I think you should open up. I think you should let loose a little bit, have some fun on this podcast every once in a while. And if that's the way oh, you want to do it, <laughs> you're a fun can't... guy. I, I, I'm a wacky, crazy guy. Just... I just live by a code case. That's what boils down to. I, hey, hey, brother, I'm straight edge. I get it. I live by a code, too, and it's true till death, baby. <laughs> so on this week's show, we'll be talking about the April 7th Corkin uh, final burst out Kness Forever. Forever, it was the retirement show of Kness. And we had a nice little treat dropped in the digest this week, Case, that I would have completely passed by if you did not just pretty much go moon landing you need to watch this so we'll be talking about a special youtube match as well yeah yeah big week on the youtube channel sv kento versus takuma fujiwara i'll i'll warn everybody now if they're sick of it too bad there's always next week we can talk about something else but there's going to be a lot of takuma fujiwara talk on this podcast because he has once again earned it. He deserves it. He deserves the amount of press he's getting. Some could argue he deserves even more press than he is getting from people outside 
of the open the voice gate universe and our friends over at pro rest paradise etc etc this is something truly incredible that we're watching unfold in front of our eyes and again we can't predict the next six months to a year maybe this all flames out maybe god forbid there's an injury there's a loss of passion there's a dietary change that doesn't go in his favor but we're watching something with takuma fujiwara right now that needs to be celebrated and as what is essentially uh hopefully going to live on as some form of historical document of the time a primary source if you will it needs to be discussed on this podcast so we talked about it a lot in december we talked about him a lot in january we talked about it a lot in february and the first week of march we sure as hell talked a lot about him this podcast once again a lot of takuma fujiwara talk i mean as we've decided he is the 2022 rookie of the year and he's not done anything to convince me otherwise at least like if anything it's like is that too high is that is that award too low for him with some of the stuff he's done over the last four months of his career the you know what the great thing is obviously hook is going to win in the observer awards i i get it fine i'm I'm not gonna i'm not gonna argue that one i won't go down on the fight there braun breaker who we discussed a few weeks ago when I learned that Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode were in a tag team called the Dirty Dogs, which I'm still laughing at. But Braun Breaker seemingly moving to the main roster or at least having some featured appearances on Raw seemed to have killed a lot of his buzz. So Breaker slightly moving out of the picture or at least the the weirdly strong F4W subscriber, but I love the WWE contingent. I think they're cooling their jets on him a little bit. So we really just need vocal support from, again, people that aren't us to push him into second place in rookie of the year voting this year. I I am, you know, no fan of participation trophies. First is, you know, first place and second place is first loser. But if we could get Fujiwara to second place in the Observer Newsletter rookie of the year this year, that is a win in my book. I'm so glad you said second place is first loser because etched in my brain, and this is this is the age gap that we that we come across a couple times. Case there was a, a, and you would have been maybe three, if that. I, I don't know the time frame, but there was a, a bio doc done of Dale Earnhardt where on ESPN where first place. That's just second loser, daddy, was the big <laughs> quote in the commercial. So the fact that you brought that up there, I want to see if uh, uh, it, Dale movie. It just was like one of those things that like that. And they would constantly have commercials for the Dale movie where it's like first place is second or second place is first loser, daddy. And it's just etched in my brain. So some Pavlovian response as soon as you said, because second place, I immediately said first loser in my brain. Is it a uh, is it the. Uh... 90-minute documentary entitled Dale from 2007. Right. So you would have been uh, you, you would have been six or eight. Six I, would have, eight. I, yeah. I would have been I would have been eight years old in 2007. I apologize to anybody that that bothers, but that is the truth behind the matter. Look, I hope to one day pass on and run laps in heaven with Dale. I'm going to check out this documentary. I always think of the Leonard Skinner behind the music where they're talking about Ronnie Van Zant. And this is going to get dark. I apologize. I realized this too late after I started the story, but they're doing a talking head with somebody. And he's like, you know, Ronnie, 
always feared he was going to die younger than the rest of us. And then they cut to the plane crash that killed half the band. And that runs through my head. Great editing. That runs through my head once a week where I'm like, damn, I'm kind of like. I could be I could be on that Leonard Skinner grind like that could be my life. Not that I wanted to. I'm I, I'm I'm relatively happy, all things considered right now. But as a child who uh, unfortunately consumed a lot of VH1 classic, which has shaped my personality, arguably for the worst, the Leonard Skinner behind the music lives rent free in this brain. The Leonard Skinner plane crash. The uh, plane was from Greensville, South Carolina. Weird get into it. it i that's i love that full circle connection there mike hey they played the memorial auditorium you know big crockett place memorial auditorium you know last show there before the fatal plane crash and jim crockett's ran there every monday so i love yeah. some skinner tuesday's gone that is a banger that is so terrific I- so, case okay, so that this uh might surprise you might not i went through a phase where uh, when I took my uh, bonus lap in college, that me and my friends, we got really enamored by the idea of cover bands. So we were we would go drive to Raleigh, which was like 40 minutes, and go see cover band festivals. And let me tell you, there was a Carolinas-based Skinner cover band called Tuesday's Gone that was pretty good. I'm into that. I love that. I, it, I'm i glad you said that because I was on the phone with a friend from high school over the weekend, somebody who hadn't talked to in a while, and he went to Tulane, and he was kind of cool in high school, and he's a big, he's a, he's a cool guy, like he's cultured, but he's also a big partier, and just trying to explain to him like what me and my dopey friends do for fun, like the improv shows we go to, or just even, you know, we're all graduated from college now, but just the vibe of art school compared to him at two lane of the frat parties that he would go to i'm very happy with my life decisions but it is a little embarrassing to sometimes explain like oh these are the things i like this is what me and my friends do to somebody that doesn't get it getting deeply invested into cover bands is a hobby that i could really respect and could one day see myself following in your footsteps it was something because uh my friends were like, oh, yeah, no, this uh, band's going to be playing at a local bar. I was like, okay. And I was like, why are they playing Metallica? It's like, oh, it's an early Metallica cover band. Up until... Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, no, duh. <laughs> oh, it, it, and it only celebrates the uh, catalog that Cliff Burton was alive for. There's our VH1 classics wraparound right there. A- have you... You've seen some kind of monster, haven't you? Oh, absolutely. I've seen several times I had to I, I, I rewatched it this past weekend. I, as God is my witness, hand a Bible, as I was typing my Kness final burst at review for VoicesOfWrestling.com, a review, which, by the way, I got a DM from someone that said it moved them to tears. So I cannot recommend it enough. As I'm typing my Kness review, I was rewatching some kind of monster, and it is even funnier and more insane than I remembered it being the last time I watched it, which was about eight months ago. It might be my single favorite piece of content to ever exist. Well, you know about the Klein Fall of Western Civilization, the documentary series, right? <laughs> yeah, I do, because I had a friend watch it about a year ago who knew I was like into punk music and into hardcore <laughs> music, and but also knows that I'm straight edge and... So he watched The Decline of Western Civilization almost as like a way to like, oh, this will be something to talk about with Case next time I see him. And then I got a text from him. He's like, 
are these your people? Like these <laughs> these people aren't like you at all. Like these people are all like strung Darby out. Crash yeah, like these Pish. people are strung out. Like they came from like really abusive homes. Like I've met your parents. They're cool. Like I, it, he almost like checked my like credibility status. Are you some kind of poser? Are you claiming to be at the decline of Western civilization? It's like no, no, no. <laughs> I, I like I like youth crew bands. I, Ian Mackay was like, don't do drugs, and I was like, hell yeah, brother, let's keep that streak going but i of course i've seen uh both the first and the second decline of western civilization well the third one uh, is about the cross punk scene and all of that but in my mind the third one should be uh decline and fall of western civilization some kind of monster because <laughs> this is what L- happens lucrative branding opportunity that wasn't capitalized on uh, penelope spheres give me a call we could we can get some work together here so you talked about this in terms of the uh, final burst out, Kness Forever, the Kness Retirement Show. Let's get into that. Uh, as you mentioned, your exemplary uh, written review is up on VoicesOfWrestling.com. I always save my review until after I've watched the show, so I've been holding off for this one because I had a free day today. Like I, I, I'm already in vacation mode, so I watched the show today. So H- I have you seen Have you review. seen some of the heavy hitters that liked the uh, review on Twitter? Ah uh, no, I imagine all the greats are there, though. Ah, uh, some some big names in there. I mean, we have our friends overseas that tend to like a lot of our stuff, but there's some some new names that trickled in there. Nice, nice. But this, I save the review to always read afterwards, also because I don't want to like influence like color how I consume content. It's nothing against anyone else. It's just I know how my brain works, and I can't recommend more highly cases review here. Writing retirement show reviews are very it's very difficult. It always ends up being very, very personal. And Kness is a very personal wrestler, I would say. I feel like that Kness, as we've discovered through like the last two months, is a very remarkable person. There's only going to be one Kness. I'm glad you said that. And let's first of all, let's, let's start main event and work our way down. Let's talk about Kness first. But you handled the review for the Masao Yoshino retirement show. By the way, I'll tell you this on air. Uh, Pencil in doing Ultimo's 35th anniversary show review. That is that is yours, my friend. Uh, but it, you just like me having called shots. I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, it, you know what? Once again, Kobe World and now this Ultimo show, they fall on not only the same weekend as Lollapalooza, which for my shoot job is like a really big weekend. Like I'm going to be really busy that entire week. It is also the weekend that my lease ends, and I oh. was I was planning on – I kind of made a big deal about moving out of my apartment. Like, no, I'm going to get this promotion. I'm going to move into a place with air conditioning and a dishwasher. Like, fucking come at me, basically. Like, I'm, I like this apartment, but I'm leaving here at the end of July. And then I saw the date for the Ultima show in Kobe World, and this is a few weeks after the Lollapalooza schedule was announced. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll just stay. Maybe I just – the idea of moving out that weekend seems like too much. Maybe I'll just stay here another year because it's I mean it's good enough. By that this point, wrestling doubleheader <laughs> in Japan, it just like I can't move now. It's in the end of July. By that point, summer is almost over. Like it'll get colder after that. I'll have to. I there's no no need to worry about moving into a place with AC in September. That's just a waste of time at that point. I need it in June and July, so I'm I'm probably just staying in my apartment. But y- you handled the Yoshino review for his retirement. You did such a remarkable job with it. And so this was my first crack at, at writing one of these big retirement show reviews because neither of us were writing reviews for the Anthony W. Mori retirement in 2010. And maybe this is 
to Inside Baseball. Maybe nobody cares, but I, I try to make a point of making these Drangate reviews really timely because of the way the network works with only, these shows only being available for seven days. So if a show happens on a Thursday, I like having my review up at, at the very least by Friday at noon. That's kind of the deadline that I give myself. But I was gifted Cubs opening day tickets on Thursday. Time got away from me. Didn't get the review done by my normal deadline. And so I really sat with the review over the weekend, and I don't I don't think it's my best writing. I was actually I was very flattered and surprised by some of the feedback I got on it, but it, it was very important to me that I sat down, and we have done enough uh, biographical work on Kness on this podcast. Thank you to Joe Lands on the flagship for shouting out this show last week and plugging the interview we did with Jay. Uh, you and I, we talked about the Yoshino versus Kness feud. We talked about Dragon Kid versus Darkness Dragon. We've covered our ground with Kness to a degree. So I really wanted to focus on this match. And as I said in my review, my big takeaway, I don't think it's fair to necessarily go apples to apples and compare this with Masato Yoshino's final match. But it is sickening to think in a way that as we approach more and more of these retirements, which we're going to, and, and you know, uh, it, th- there might be another one this year for all we know. I don't know anything, but you look at this roster, you look at the way some guys are moving around. I, it wouldn't be surprised if we're doing another one of these in October or November. But- yeah, play the five-year game, folks. That's uh, We talked about that a couple months ago. Play the five-years game. It's just rational to think that there's going to be more. Uh, but... I I really wanted to take my time and make sure that this match got the love that it deserved because ultimately what I've come to the conclusion of is is Dragon Gate is such a beast and the way they operate is so intense and so precise is the word I want to use that they are somehow going to improve on their wrestling through tears style retirement matches. And that is just a crazy thing to think of. And for as much as I don't want to see the next guy retire, I'm almost looking forward to it because like, you know, Yoshino's retirement didn't move me to tears. Kinesa's retirement didn't move me to tears. I love Super Shisa, but I don't know if his retirement will move me to tears. When Genki Horiguchi retires... I am going to be crying like a baby, and I have a feeling everybody else will. And Horiguchi is one of those guys that I have circled. Uh, you know, we sit here April of 2022. I don't think he's going to be an active wrestler by April 2027. So that is coming up sooner rather than later. And it's just amazing that Drangate is going to work out a formula in the same way that they have the sneaky great undercard singles matches, the high level six man tags, the main event Dreamgate matches. Those all have their own style. I think we're going to see retirement matches become a style unto themselves. And for as sad as that is, that is also an amazing accomplishment and something that I look forward to seeing progress as we go along. Yeah. And it's interesting, like proposing an idea of retirement match as a style, because I think that Yoshino's match felt visibly, emotionally, spiritually different than this one but they both fit the same vein and the same genre right like yoshino to me felt like he was going to go out on the shield of he was going to have one last tremendous doyoshi moment like he was going to turn back the clock to 2009 if only for 30 minutes and he managed to do that in my opinion and this one if this one was more 
emotionally like connects with someone that like through his career he always clawed back into the ring and it literally took him saying kz you and me and then susumu and dragon kid basically just standing in frame but out of the ring for the last eight minutes of this match where Kness was insisting that KZ finish him off and if he wasn't going to finish him off he was going to kick out until he gave him one that he would not get up from basically and it was fantastic storytelling with the way of doing this of KZ just breaking down more and more as he's putting more and more muster behind each elbow smash each European uppercut until finally he got the one that just had Kness out on his feet crumpled to the mat in the three count so it's, it's a unique experience, and it's something that, like, you can't really, like, it's, I, I don't want to put it aside and say it's singular, but it it's very hard to think of matches like this, like the Dragon Gate graduation, just to broaden the category, the Dragon Gate graduation and retirement matches are their own thing in a lot of different ways that you don't see elsewhere. Did you expect Kness to wrestle as much as he did in this match? I I figured we would get the one Nesca stretch where they would do all the Nesca moves, you know, and they would do the things. I figured that he would get one deep near fall with a Kari Noah, which we got, and then it would be the final stretch out of him. I did not think that the final stretch in the Hikari Noah would be a part of an eight-minute segment that was as much on him as was on KZ, no. But, you know, his participation was on the upper end of expectations like i thought he looked fine oh god yeah oh he no kness you know clearly a man not at top peak physical condition although his body did look tremendous but no he held up his end of the deal to a degree that i couldn't believe because i really thought from everything we had been told about his condition including the the reason this match was put together was that if his body were to give up on him he was in the ring with dragon kid and KZ and the Tim Duncan of pro wrestling, Susumi Yokosuka, guys that could go in there and very easily handle themselves. I thought he would wrestle the opening sequence, and I thought he would be in for the finish, and I thought this would be 18 minutes of Susumi Yokosuka doing his thing. And to have, like you said, that seven-minute closing stretch really after the Hikari Noah near fall, which was incredible, and he nailed that move. I, that's another one of those deals where I wasn't sure how that move was going to look given what we had heard about his condition, but he he pulled it out for one more night. Everything after that had this unique intensity to it that is hard to put into words. And I know it's our job to paint a picture, but the, the best thing I can say is if for some reason you're listening to this and you haven't watched Kness and Susumu versus Dragon Kid and KZ, you need to go do that because the closing stretch of this match is really, really special. I I mentioned it in my review. I'd like your thoughts on it. There was sort of a silence that fell over the crowd. The more Casey hit this guy with uppercut after uppercut after forearm after forearm and Kness continued to fall and get pinned and then kick out at two. And there was this silence that held over Cork and Hall I said in my review, maybe we would have gotten a few more crowd calls, but I think that silence would have been there whether or not there were COVID restrictions in place or not, because they were watching a man essentially crawl to his own grave. And that is a really unique atmosphere that I I have seldom seen in pro wrestling, if at all. 
do do you where, where do you stand on the crowd for this match anything of note for you yeah no the, so this is to my note the most highly attended cork and show they sounded like the most highly attended cork and show that were on their best behavior and during like this final stretch here they went silent and the only silence that i could liken it to within dragon gate is when someone disp- when like a unit disbands and after the speeches when they're all just kind of standing there or before they get the speeches where like the theme is playing and then the the the, the celebration happens and they pull back and they pot down the uh, the uh, PA system, so you just hear like the crowd there, and it's just it's not even a murmur. There's just like a a sound of silence that you get within Dragon Gate in these kind of moments. But this was by far the most pronounced one. I think the only one that kind of comes close to us was like the silence that happened after uh, Shingo turned on Monster Express. Yeah, and there was. That's I. That's funny. I hadn't thought about that in a while. There was that discussion after some of those Shingo Dreamgate matches, which I hold as some of the best Dreamgate matches ever. He had the Fuji defense, yellow singlet Shingo, yellow trim singlet Shingo, which always needs to be mentioned talking about that Don Fuji match. But then the Mochizuki match, and I believe the Shima match, those two, the Mochizuki one for sure, there was that silence after, uh, after Shingo ended up winning those matches. And there was some back and forth of people of whether or not that silence was a good thing. I never saw any attendance dip while Shingo was on top. So I tend to read of it as a good thing, but that's probably the closest comparison we have in dragon gate is that stunned silence after those wars and Shingo beating those legends as cleanly as he did. It's a totally different atmosphere than what the Kness match produced, but it's a, a similar vibe in the long run. Yeah, no, it, it's just like a, it, it is the sound of silence. <laughs> like it, it is a lot of people being uncomfortable, a lot of people, you know, being deep in thought, you know, I mean, they, they can't have the words come to their mouth and there's just a lot of tension. It's, it's the, it's the sound of tension. I feel like more so than the sound of silence. Cause there's like a palpable tension throughout. Yeah. Like I, if I, if I was your editor and this goes for anybody listening, God forbid they ever write for me. And you turned in a piece where you used the phrase, the silence was deafening. I would hand it back to you. I would say, stop being so corny. Give me a better sentence that I hate that phrase. It's a trigger for me for whatever reason. I just think in writing, that is the laziest phrase possible. But if there was ever a time where it was applicable, it would be here. Because you're exactly right. That silence held a special tension that was a noise in its own way. Yeah, and it was just one of those things that you had a match that would go to these depths, and you would have like the work in the match as well, because as you mentioned, Sumi Yokosuka was in this match up carrying his end of the deal, even though he didn't really need to. A super avalanche DVD going for Ultra Ranas from we had hit Ultra Ranas. We went, we had a Dragon Rana attempt from Dragon Kid. We had a uh, we had the uh, world liner, and we had something that I thought that was really cool in the opening. Each guy on the DK and KZ team getting into the ring after the bell and doing opening grappling and just lockups with KZ with Kness. Like each of them did like that segment, and they tagged out, and each of them did. And I thought that was kind of like a neat thing that each of them got to lock up with him for the last time. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, the whole presentation from start to finish the entrances 
which you could see everybody in the ring was visibly moved by to the closing ceremony with some of Knessa's friends coming out and presenting him with flowers. It was all so classy, so well done, so the antithesis of the way that wrestling has been presented. I would argue the way wrestling has been presented worldwide because, and this isn't a dig by any means, but I don't, it's I don't see nowhere New Japan or All Japan or DDT. I, I don't want to throw anyone specific under the bus. I I just don't think there's such a there's ever been such a classy presentation as the way that Drangia handles these retirement ceremonies. So that's by no means an us versus them thing. It's just something that Drangia does really well because they feel like a family. And I talked about that in my review. This was a selfless match by Kness, and the end of the match, which I was so moved by. I just really the you know I, I'm not the the biggest symbolism person there is in wrestling it's almost you know I, I think about some writers on the voice of wrestling staff that may have even been better fit to talk about this match just given the finish where you know Kness sacrificed himself he opened himself up to that final strike and gave whatever he had left to the new generation on top of gifting all of his moves which is just such a uh, such a great concept. I'm so glad they're doing that. I can't I can't wait for Shisa to retire just so some guys can get some new tricked out grappling moves. But it was all just such a a family experience. And it feels like something bigger than wrestling. You know, a lot of these guys on the roster, these older guys, they have a wife and they have kids. But, you know, we have been told by multiple people they feel married to Dragon Gate. And it comes through in matches like this. It's why people like you and I stick through the tough times, stick through 2017, 2018, 2019, because if you're a long-term fan, even someone like me who, you know, has been covering the product for six years, been watching a little bit longer than that. It's not like I watched prime darkness dragon. It's not even like I watched prime Kness, but God damn, this match meant a lot to me. I mean, this was a moving experience and this is why we care and we pay attention as much as they do because the payoff for stuff like this is second to none. Just as an aside, in the uh, retirement ceremony of all this, do you think that they gave uh, Kness a heads up that, like, Yutaka Yoshie and Nene Takahashi were going to be there with to, like, see him? Because he looked genuinely surprised when he saw, uh, when he saw uh, Yoshie. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I assumed in my mind that he knew, but you're right. He did kind of have a, a a surprise look on his face. He did not make a public a, a appearance, but I should note that Shingo was at the show as well to say his goodbyes to Kness, which is very cool. Very cool. Shingo is someone that, like, even, like, years before he jumped to New Japan or left and then went to New Japan, he's a wrestling nerd. Like, y y you have read the uh the transcription of shingo takaki calling AEW dynamite right oh my god if you haven't you need to go read shingo doing commentary of dynamite it is he's the man he is the absolute best i love wrestlers that love wrestling and shingo is at the top of that list yeah just like the fact that he was like going and talking about like ecw and things like this it's like and like his asides like naito probably doesn't even know what ecw is <laughs> just cracked me up and it, and it just made me think of god fmw going down when it did probably was for the best for all parties involved just for oh, god, yeah. that thread. oh my god yeah it's in the same way that steve carino came into wrestling at the wrong time you know carino 
his big break was in 99. He needed his big break to uh, quite honestly be in 1979. Shingo came in at the right time. This is one of those rare right time, right place guy. We get Shingo in the right era with the right good influences, and we've removed him to the best of our ability from his negative influences. Did he do some exploding death matches while he was preparing to headline big Dragon Gate shows? Yes, he did. That's okay. We forgive him for that because he's given us so so, so many other great memories. I, I mean, in retrospect, it's really funny. Like, people mad about that, you know? Just like... Well, there was... I, I gotta see if I get my dates. Because I, I believe it was Final Gate 2014... Right. Right before he wrestled Hulk for the Dreamgate belt and Shingo. He got hurt in that match. Yeah. And I don't see a cage match listing for it, which I mean, it was some scuzzy. Oh, no, no, no. It was zero one. It it, it was zero. I thought it was a freelance show, but it was zero one. No rope barbed wire, current blast and triple thunder back current death blast match. Onita Masato Tanaka and Shingo Takagi versus Nozawa Takayama and Kentaro Kanemura, which is the grossest match on paper. And Shingo got dinged up in that match. I don't remember the specific injury, but there was about a week where it was like, okay, so is he wrestling in Final Gate or what's the story here? And he, you know, obviously Hulk versus Shingo from that year is one of the best Dreamgate matches there is. But that goes to show you where Shingo is at. He wants to be Onita 2.0 and thank God he's not. Yeah. But it, it it's something like Shingo being there and like the photo of everyone is just one of those things that, as you mentioned here in an interview that they do so well. And it just was something that you, it, it's nice that there is a promotion that it, they will give you the flowers that you deserve. And they, they will even for someone like Kness, who like. I mean, like the overall theme about him is is his body betrayed him before his mind did, and the years and his body they gave out, like the the very least that any uh, reputable company should do is be able to treat them how Kness did. So it was very affirming. Yeah, it was it was absolutely tremendous. I I guess we should mention if you don't know when you're looking for the English commentary version of the show. The show kicked off without any issues. Uh, this was one of those shows where I was watching it as I was doing my shoot job, which is always very stressful. And I had on English commentary and around halfway through the show, the feed died out and then the feed came back and then the feed died out. And we got to a point where it was not back for the main event. And shortly after the show ended, we found out from Jay that there is a, a technological error and that the English commentary had been wiped. So the opening match, which is uploaded on YouTube for free, that has English commentary. But it is a damn shame that we do not have the English call of this. Obviously, anybody that listened to our show with Jay knows how much this meant to him. For him, this was his peak. This was his pinnacle. This was everything he ever wanted to do as an announcer. And I'm glad he got to call the match. And I'm really disappointed that we won't get to hear it. So that that is, if there is one bummer that we can put on this situation is that we don't have the English commentary. Yeah, yeah, just technology sucks. <laughs> like, it, 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 it felt like I got punched in the stomach when I read that. I was so disappointed for, uh, you know, uh, yeah. really, really the rest of the day, just kind of thinking about it in the back of my head. I'm like, God, like, 
It's the one it's the one thing that he wanted to do. He is such a reluctant, despite the fact that he finished in the top 10 for best announcer of the Observer Awards, he's such a reluctant commentator, and he's turned in to a seasoned pro who fits the tone of this product. I think he's a great representation for Drangate uh, to the Western fans, even if he's not the most vocal on social media. He's not somebody that's going to embarrass the company ever. And for him to not get this call, or at least he got to call the match, but for people to not hear it is is very sad. I, I really was disappointed for the rest of the day about that. Yeah, it's a bummer. And I mean, it's, it's like the fact that it's not even salvageable that that's a punch on top of the punch. It sucks. Yeah, it's- absolutely. And it's it's one of those weird things. Because I remember when we talked to him last year, part of the discussion we had was, you know, Corkin, there's always an uptick of of English fans, but it's not like most people pay attention to Kobe or Kyoto or Fukuoka. They pay attention to the big shows and the big shows haven't delivered. And there's this weird curse that is going on with some of the most important moments in the company's history over the past few years, at least since they've had English commentary, where between Final Gate 2020 with the unit disbands match, which is one of the best matches in company history, there was a technology error there. It took them weeks to get the English commentary done, just given that that was around the holidays, there was technology issues, they had to get people to record the English commentary, so that wasn't readily available. And then you have this, which I know meant a lot to Jay, and it just, it did not work out, which is a real bummer. Yeah, it sucks. Like, there's no other ways to to put it. Um, working backwards, semi-main event was a special uh, semi-final match for Kness Forever. It was the uh, 10-man teams, the uh, team of Genki Horiguchi, Kenichiro Arai, Ultimo Dragon, Yuzushi Kanda, and Konamawa Ichikawa defeated Don Fuji, Masaki Mochizuki, Sachi Hokoboy, Shuji Kondo, and Super Sisha with a unmasking of Konamawa Ichikawa during the original. And uh, I, something about this show that like kind of worked a, to its favor is that you had like this two-match portion at the end of the show that was its own distinct thing, and this very much felt like, all right, these are guys that would not have been able to have been in this match and made no sense for it, but they are of his generation. They, I mean, you have Mochizuki and Kanda for M2K. You have just everyone involved from that that have a match to celebrate Kness, and I thought that it was fun for what it was. Yeah, it's interesting to look at this match on paper in the context of now, even compared to two years ago when the Toriyaman generation as a gimmick was a focal point in the company, obviously you go back a year or two before that and you go, oh, well, it's, you know, it's Horiguchi and it's Mochizuki and we'll throw Kondo in the mix. And it's not like it was that long ago that Yasushi Kondo was a champion, a Bravegate champion at that and a, a featured commodity in the heel unit. You go, oh, what's, you know, yeah, it's a semi-main event. It's the, it's the Dragon Gate guys. It's the guys we all know and love. But in the context of now, with the future class and with Shun Skywalker and with gold class, this match felt weirdly out of place. I mean, it was so nostalgic in a way that you almost hope that the second Torimon reunion show can deliver on because it's all guys that, you know, while they're still talented, it's, it's not like Mochizuki or Kondo or Fuji can't go, man, it's weird to see them in a semi-main event. I like the way the show was laid out. I like that this match got the featured spot that it did, but it, in a weird way, felt really out of place. Yeah, this is a match three Kobe Sambo Hall uh, touch football league 
match that they had. Very, I, I mean, like to the extent that part of the comedy really was the fact that Suji Kondo really wanted to unmask, or Don Fuji really wanted to unmask uh, uh, Konamao Chikawa and everyone just going like, come on, Don, just knock it off here. And then, you know, the finish happened. But, you know, this was fun. On the uh, Lex sponsored uh, Open the Voice Gate Produce show, it's going on in the first half of the show. It's not before intermission. I'm sorry, it's not after intermission. It's going on before intermission. Super Shisa versus Ultimo Dragon. Two out of three falls. Maestro's match. That is what I would really like to see. Yeah. Uh, my first note in this match. Uh, Super Shisa. Still very cool. He's, He's still- the man. He is like... When he retires, we're going to be doing a lot of Shisa content. I'm going to tell you that right now. There's, I, there are going Pause to be some hearts <laughs> in this economy. There's going to be some links that are going to be found in the description of this podcast because I'm going to make sure that all the homies can watch my favorite Super Shisa matches. I mean, just Super Shisa versus UT. We'll do a full hour on that match. He's he's the coolest. It's I I love him, and even now he's bigger, he's slower, his body's not what it used to be. Dude is still cool as hell. You know what? He knows how to cut his t-shirt if he's going to be wearing a t-shirt in the yeah. ring. You notice that? Yeah, I, that's a really good point. He does. Some people, like, they do the cuts and they have the French to, like, hide that they're not very good at cutting the t-shirt. Never Super Sisa. Never. That's he's a, man a, ma- that he's a master like, of his craft. He is. He keeps a straight line. You know, no tummy showing ever, but you still have a t-shirt on. You know what I mean? He yeah. gets it. I love he gets it. it. This, was, this so, was a fun match. Finished with Kondo accidentally ripping off Ichikawa's mask was a great spot. Yeah, just just was great. I mean, Kondo was more uh, enthusiastic in this match about the fact that his finance services business bought the ad rights for the uh, ring post. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this was... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, everybody, no, no, no more comments on this for me. This was very fun stuff. Yeah, and you mentioned it, uh, but after this match, they announced the two days in... Kenan Hall coming up around, uh, I wish they would, a pro wrestling festival weekend is what I'm going to call it. So on the 30th, they're going to be having the, uh, what they're calling Ultimo Dragons 35th anniversary celebration. And then on the 31st, they'll have the traditional uh, pro wrestling festival show. And just to, like, no, we don't have to go too much into this, but just to kind of reiterate a point that I have made over the years and one of the reasons why this always happens this isn't like emulation thing this is being a kobe based promotion and the greater hyogo prefectorial area there's just not the kind of arenas and stadiums to do it to, to do a larger kobe world show so they it makes most sense for them to do two shows so that's why we're doing two shows do you know who is probably dreading this uh, who is probably dreading this ultimo 30th, 35th anniversary show i mean oh i mean diamante is kind of a busy night but i get a feeling he's going to enjoy that kind of match yeah but... no, so, somebody outside of drangate who saw this show was announced and immediately got a bad feeling in his stomach uh uh sugi no it has to be kaito kiyomiya because oh, gosh. if the borders are open, 
we're going to see some old ass luchadors on this show and you know Nozawa is sitting in text of like so can I get a deal on these guys like Kiyomiya's got to build his way back up somehow and he's just he's got no, no, no mascaras please don't have your passport please don't have your passport please don't have your passport <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, Ultimus 35th was this year fuck <laughs> I uh, no no sound in the line chat uh with uh GM Saito going split ticket split ticket <laughs> yeah. for Molasquares split one split we've got a beam of money we'll cover those guys you have for Ultima show we want them long term we want them next year <laughs> I mean apparently you can get in Japan a lot easier now uh, oh and, no, stay- and Nozawa knows that Nozawa was taking advantage of it immediately <laughs> Yes, sir. Uh, Kaioki Amea, sleep with one eye open. Sleep, sleep with one eye open. So, the pre-intermission match, and as the first half of the show, really, was Gold Class versus High End. Uh, Gold Class, uh, Kaido Ishida, Kota Minora, Naruki Doi, defeated uh, High End, Kagatora, Keisuke Akuda, Yamato, and when Minora penned Okuda with the R301. Uh, but the big story about this match is Minorita, as we had slight uh, rehash, but a different change at the end when uh, Doi was apoplectic, wondering where Minorita is. I think he cares more about the mascot than he does about Koda, by the way. Uh, he was apoplectic because he disappeared because Yamato ran in the back, but Yamato came back, but no Minorita. But three metal warriors dragged out a disheveled Minorita, and it looks like that oh, this is going to be happening in two weeks. So it looks like that we have a singles match happening on the 25th of Minorita versus a metal warrior. I don't, I don't want the smoke. I don't want to make the first prediction. I have no clue who's under the mask. Mike, who do you think is under the mask? Oh God. Uh, it, uh, of course you say, I want no smoke. So Mike, you take all the bullets here. L- let me, well, uh, let me, okay. Let me, let me shoot myself in the foot for a second then. All right. I, th- I thought when they first dragged him out, I thought it was going to be Noah guys and they were just going to take their mask off and maybe do a six man on the 25th show to hype up the big Noah junior show on the 29th, which even though Ata's headlining, I don't, I don't get the sense that's going to draw very well. That feels cold, at least from my perspective. Maybe people more plugged into Noah feel otherwise. I would like to know if you do, but it wouldn't it wouldn't do anything for anybody for the Noah guys to unmask on the 25th, have an unadvertised match, and then obviously work their show on the 29th. And the Zebrats are working the Noah show, not Gold Class. So that was a stretch there. Now that they're not unmasked, I am I'm I have no clue. Yeah, uh, I, I, obviously with Kakuda coming back last week and already having his return match announced, uh, that takes – but then getting Kakuda, you'd be able to stick out from a crowd even if he's masked. I mean, and, and it's not just the height. The cake will be the show off there. <laughs> well, but, they, they've, they've booked him as a babyface in his return. Right. We don't know what that exact match is, but it would be uh, – a jarring change of direction for him to return in his hometown, turn on Zebrats, but then also be under a mask and beat up the smallest guy on the roster. Right. Yeah. So I'm not married to this case, but maybe for two out of the three, maybe Shoya Sato and Riki Yahashi getting mad that uh, Minorita broke away from the future class before they did. So, 
I, I'm in agreement there. I'm I, I'm looking for an alternative because that feels really uh, uh, fantasy booking like. That seems like something we would like, but in reality, there's slim chances of it happening. But unless they're just putting some Zebras guys under a mask to put them under a mask, it's not going to be anybody from Natural Vibes. Unless there's a big turn, it's not going to be any from anybody from Decourage. It's not anybody from high end because they were in the match. So you go and you look at who's unaffiliated. Well, it wouldn't make sense if it's Ata. It wouldn't make sense if it's Maria. It wouldn't make sense if it's Kondo. I don't see it being Strong Machine J. I mean, maybe he's the third guy. Maybe it's Sato, Ricky, and Strong Machine J. But then what do you do with Ishin? It's not, you know, it's not Kanda. It's not Mochizuki. It's not Fuji. Uh, let's say our prayers and eat our vitamins that it's not Yoshida. Jason Lee's doing his own thing. It wouldn't make any sense for Estrella to be there. And then you're looking at your your bottom of the barrel guys. So you're put in a position where unless there's a massive swerve that we just don't see coming and we're going to be absolutely blindsided by on this second Cork and Hall show in late April, then it, it all all signs lead to it being the future class and what combination of them at this point, it's not going to be Fujiwara. It's going to be Ricky and Ishin and Shoya Sato, which would be exciting, but that feels really far-fetched, even if logic is pointing us in that direction. Yeah, it's just something that, that would give them a level of prominence that, I mean, even like the Hashis, I mean, it's kind of hard to think that they were such a big deal when they debuted, and now they're basically, I mean, Riki hasn't been on shows for several weeks now, and Ishin is in the undercards. So, like, it would be, like, the step of the change that we've been wanting to see from the Ahashi as of late, but it's kind of farcical for, like, a male Warriors to be rookies. But as you laid out, like, the roster is at a point right now that it would have to be a big swerve or it would have to be outsiders, you know? And that's where the Noah theory would make the most sense, but as you laid out, it doesn't line up for that show. So yeah, the, the, the Noah theory makes sense when you think about it as Drangate versus Noah. But once you dive one more layer into that, there's no there's no logic behind it. It's not the guys that Noah's feuding with. The timeline doesn't make any sense. It, again, if they would have taken it, in the moment, I was like, oh, that that might be Noah guys. They did it on a mask. It's not Noah guys. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you there. Uh, the match, I mean. Gold class remains sterling, a uh, high end. I mean, they have high end exists. Like they've done this match before. I feel like they've done this exact same match, but uh, with uh, Minorita coming back out. I mean, the work was fine without it. Well, we, even with this, but I mean, really, you had the match and you had all the Minorita stuff. I love these gold class high end matches because gold class goes over, and every time they do that, makes me laugh. <laughs> well, before this. We had some old partners reuniting for the first time in a while, as it was the former Big Ben team. A former, like, this is X-Maximum team of Ben K, Big Bosch, and Mizu. So high-end and natural vibes teaming with the unaffiliated Jason Lee. So, you know, you got your old friends, what they're doing. I, I mean, this is like what happens before free agency. You know, I mean, you, you get the guys you used to play with, and they're like, hey, you want, you want to come join our team here? Well... They were trying to to get Jason's approval, but they did this against Zebrats, Kai, SB Kento, and Shun Skywalker. Shun Skywalker pretty much spent the entire match being the shit out of Jason Lee and won with the SSW in a remarkable match. You know, what they what it accomplished was fascinating. 
I love this Shun Jason stuff so much because Dragon Gate is very formulaic and even when storylines are intriguing, even when things are firing on all cylinders, you know, they'll pull out angles that blow us away because they go in a different direction. But you you and I and most people listening understand the beats of this promotion and whether someone's a babyface or a heel, it will determine small things in their wrestling, but we have a general idea of what they're going to do. I remember listening to the Young Bucks talk about years ago. They were so nervous before their first tour of Dragon Gate because they watched tape and were like, oh my God, how are we going to keep up with these guys? They're all so fast. And then a few days into the tour, they went, oh, it's it's plug and place. There is a formula here. And once you know that formula, it's, it's an equation and it's easy to, to solve after that. What I love about this Shun stuff is that it is so divorced from the normal Dragon Gate turn that we've seen. This was two matches in one. This was Kai and SB Kento versus Big Ben, and really SB Kento versus Big Ben because Kai was just not feeling it tonight. He just took the night it off. Easy. He had that Togi Makabe grind where he was like, I'll see you guys over there. I <laughs> you guys got this. Um I, I, I mean the biggest bump of the match might have been for him is him doing his weird pose between his legs when he falls back on his back. That might have been the most physically exertion, most physically exerting time of this match for him. I was looking at my notes as I was typing up this review and I'm like, mm, not seeing Kai's name in here a lot. I don't think he did much. But th- there's essentially that two on two going on and then Jason versus Shun existing in its own universe because Shun has taken this path where yes, he hits his big spot. He hit the big booty hit the SSW. He was alive and on fire during that finishing stretch. But the points to that led us to that point are so different than anything we've seen from him this was not opening match moonsault skywalker this was not dreamgate skywalker this wasn't even masquerade towards its dying days skywalker this is another step in his evolution another step in his character evolution and i just feel like he has hit every beat so perfectly in this feud i am so excited for the big match to possibly decide jason lee's fate i am really intrigued by the idea of Jason essentially being gaslit, gatekeeped, and girl bossed into joining Zebrats for a short period of time. I don't know if that's the route they're going to go. I could very easily see him in decourage, which would be exciting. But I, the idea of reluctant heel Jason is also a move that that very much intrigues me. All I know is that through the first quarter of the year, Shun versus Jason has delivered every step along the way. Yeah, and it's remarkable how they've weaved this tale. Because you had the two matches. You had basically, this match went nine minutes. And for nine minutes, Shun Skywalker just dirty brawled with Jason Lee. And just dominated him. Like you would have like, uh, you'd have Big Ben try to get in there. But they would be treated, they'd be kicked aside. But guess what? Shun Skywalker finds his way back in the ring with Jason Lee. Has his boot to the throat. And until the finishing stretch where both members of Big Ben, first Shimizu with his running splash, and then Ben with a spear that Jason sold. Like, it was like, it, it, he sold the spear. Like, it, like the, the facial expression got caught in a way that he looked like he got hit by a truck. Well, he, and, uh, he he's, I mean, and I, I don't say this lightly given the week and everything that's gone on with Zero One, but Ben speared him and Jason's neck whipped back against the bottom rope, and it was, uh, quite frankly, scary as hell. Yeah, so like he did that, and 
it's just the way of been like, yeah, they're trying to work with him, but Shun is now operating at a level that he managed to get both because it was very clear in the interactions that it was not like genuine mistakes. It was Shun Skywalker manipulating the situation. And he was able to like make it work for his benefits there that, yeah, this is like a nine minute, three and a quarter star match, but it, what it accomplishes in storyline and character work is just on another level. I would deem it essential viewing, quite frankly. Uh, if there's three matches to watch on this show, it's the main event, obviously. It's the match we're about to talk about, and it's this. Just because I thought the Shun Jason stuff was that good. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous round bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOWnet. Arenaclub.com slash VOWnet for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Yeah, let's get into that other match. This was Diamante versus Takuma Fujiwara. Diamante won with the Vuelta finale. The, a second Vuelta finale is worth mentioning. And this Takuma Fujiwara case, he is the 2022 Rookie of the Year, don't you know? Yes, I, 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 don't, I don't even know what to say. I mean, this was minus the blood as exciting as Moxley versus Wheeler Yuta, which I thought was incredible. I was standing and pacing by the end of that one. This had similar vibes with Fujiwara starting the match with a big dive, Diamante doing his thing, Fujiwara coming back, and then eventually the young guy got beat. It's ridiculous. And we can lump in an entire Fujiwara discussion here. The week that he's had between this match the match the following day, which I just posted on the Open the Voice Gate Twitter, which was Diamante, BB Hulk, and Shun Skywalker versus Ultimo, Akuda, and Fujiwara, which if you didn't get enough Diamante versus Fujiwara on this show, I would highly recommend that match. Again, it's on the Open the Voice Gate uh, uh, Twitter. And then Fujiwara versus SB Kento from just a few days ago. Again, link is on the Open the Voice Gate Twitter page. Uh, I was feverishly refreshing the Dragon Gate YouTube channel all day waiting for that to drop, and it 1,000% delivered on my expectations. I would go four stars on the Diamante match, three and a half on the six-man tag, and three and three quarters on SB Kento versus Fujiwara, and this is a guy that has been wrestling for six months. I'm at a loss for words. T... Well, I'm going to make you have some words here for a, for a second because I have a question for you, Case. So Please. sorry. So would you say that this week he had with the singles match here and the singles match of SP Kento and the six-man, would you think that's as impressive as the week he had where he had Jackie Funky Kame in the Kobe Art Center and then had the Brave Gate match against Dragon Daya? Because I could see the argument both ways at this point. No, because the, the Kame match was so good and the Daya match is a, a Dragon Gate match that you're contender. I don't I don't think it's good enough to live outside of my top 10 worldwide, but within the context of Dragon Gate, it's going to finish in my top 10. It was, it was, you know, it was phenomenal. That was a big time singles match where I think you and I just in our own little bubble put a lot of pressure on him of like, oh, this is the kid. This is his shot. Time to show out. And he said, okay, bet. And he showed out and delivered in that Brave Gate match to a degree that was unbelievable. So, yeah, he uh, he's, he's the rookie of the year. He's firing on all cylinders. Mike, do you have your, your star ratings notebook handy? I always have my Dragon Gate notebook ahead of me. In front of uh, me. That's 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 what I like to know because I, I would like you through the first quarter of the year plus this first April Cork and Hall show, I would like for you to figure out who has your most four star matches in the company at this time period because there's been a lot of great matches this year. I have ad as of the time we're recording this, seventeen 
Dragon Gate matches at four stars or higher, which is a very nice rate. And there are some names like Dragon Dying, Coach Minora, guys I really like. They have four four star or higher matches this year. Jackie Funky Kame, always consistent, always delivers. He is at five four star or higher matches this year. Same with Shun Skywalker, who outside of Kenny Omega was my wrestler of the year last year. Takuma Fujiwara, six months into his career, four months into this year, I have it six matches at four stars or higher, which is insane. I mean, that is Young Bucks, Brian Danielson, Hangman Page level of consistency and hit rate at this point. So I, while you were talking, I was flipping through this. I don't have like a full accurate count. He is, just from flipping through by acclamation, my Dragon Gate most outstanding wrestler of the year. If we were just going by just star ratings alone and not like and not having subjective things, just star ratings, which yeah, I guess subjective, but whatever. It's Sakuma Fujiwara. Uh, I thought Alan Forel in the Voices of Wrestling Discord made a very good point as he's prone to do this week because Voices of Wrestling flagship Patreon subscribers will know that the match of the week this week, a gimmick that Joe Lanza does every week, the match of the week this week is from November 14th, 1997. Mike, does that date ring a bell to you? Well, I was 11, and, <laughs> you know, that was around uh, Thanksgiving time, and Thanksgiving is a big holiday in the Spears household. No, I have no idea what that. It was the debut of Little Dragon. It was Shima, Sua, and Don Fuji, as we know them now. Oh, the Arena Mexico match. The Arena Mexico match versus uh, Magnum Tokyo, all cap Saito, now known as Super Shisa, and Little Dragon, now known as Dragon Kid. This was Dragon Kid's debut. This match was on a CMLL show as a favorite Ultimo Dragon. I posted it in the Voices of Wrestling Discord last week because somebody was referencing Dave, uh, some Dave writing from like 1999 or 2000, where he said that Dragon Kid has a chance to become one of the best flyers in the world. And I just threw that in there as a little nugget of like, hey, you know, if you want to watch old Dragon Kid, here you go. This is a fun match that rob viper posted years ago i saved it i share it around every once in a while lanza liked that i posted it asked if he could use it as the match of the week this week i would like to apologize to joe lanza if he's listening to this the match of the week discussion always generates a ton of comments in the voices of wrestling discord and it has died a death this week no one cares about this match and i it, i feel so bad about it but alan left a comment which is a a good point of you know these guys were six months into their career at this point when this match happened, the, the first class primarily debuted in May of 1997. This is November of 1997. You look at what they do here and how there's very clearly talent there, but it is by no means put together. This is a match that is really working off of Shima and Magnum Tokyo's generational charisma that they had even then, but the in-ring work is not super solid. And you look at where Takuma Fujiwara is literally with the same amount of reps with the same amount of time in his career as these guys, and you look at how polished Fujiwara is, it's incredible to compare those two. Yeah, and I say this a lot, and it's something that I passionately believe in, and it's something that I really wish more people would keep in mind case when we talk about Takuma Fujiwara and we talk about this year. Kurt Angle, when Kurt Angle had that rookie year, yes, he was on Raw and on SmackDown. That's an aberration for most of these just phenomenal rookie years, like like Jun Akiyama. Like that's always one of the ones that's really held up. Those tapes would be coming months later, and how much Jun Akiyama were you really getting to see 
on those all Japan tapes when he was that rookie. You're getting to see a good deal because they knew that they had something in him, but it wasn't like, I mean, Takuma Fujiwara, they now make sure that this kid is on every show. They make sure that if he has a match on YouTube and the digest, that they have an option putting it up there. If it's a good one, they put it up there. We're seeing someone have this rookie year in real time in a way that with the exception of Kurt Angle, I can't think of anyone we're really observing like that way, at least in pro wrestling and sports. Sure. I mean, Jeff Frank core, this is like the, the wrestling equivalent of Jeff Frank cures uh, first month in major league baseballs. That, that is a reference lost on everybody, but you, me and possibly rich Krejci, if he's listening to this, well done, Mike. That was for our overlords. That was a poll for our overlords and early 2000 Atlanta Braves fans. Well, yes. I mean, I find it fascinating that, you know, on this YouTube channel, they're obviously choosing what they upload, and they're typically uploading Fujiwara matches and main events, and I feel like that says something about the clear faith that they have in this kid. To your point, if you go on the Ditches All Japan Archive, there's about 20 to 30 Akiyama matches from late 92 when he debuted throughout all of 93. And, and that's a lot for that time period. That's, that's yes. a lot, and that's a lot of six-man tags, and then, you know, the Kawada match, the Kobashi matches from earlier in that year. But it's, it's you know, there's a fair amount of Akiyama there. But we're going to get more Fujiwara this year, probably just from what airs on the Drangate Network alone, let alone what we're getting on YouTube, which is a lot. He is, you know, to me, the MVP of these Digest uploads that we're getting. It's awesome. There's, you know, fun natural vibes versus high-end matches. But I'm more concerned on the, the eight-minute Fujiwara match that's uploaded before it because that's been really entertaining so far. Yeah, no. So it's going to be a fun thing to continue to chart out as we get to. I mean, the only reason why I'm ever going to remember Gate of Origin 2021 is because of him and Fuda's debut. So, I mean, as we close it, that, that will be a fun episode to do in October and November, wherever they have the uh, the show in Sendai, is take a look at the rookie year. Like, try to put a encapsulation on this. We usually like to have a bit of historical distance, but it'll be interesting to just have, like, a capsule of what his first year was. Let's talk about Diamante for a second. I have a bit of a, a, a brainstorming session for you, okay? All right. Yeah, what well, we got? So you wake up tomorrow morning, and you are Tony Khan. Okay. And you, you energize yourself in whatever way that might be. I'm not going to make judgments on, on how he has so much energy all the time, despite being such a busy man. But you, you are energized. You open up your laptop. You go to your booking screen. And all of a sudden, your phone rings, you get a call, and it's Diamante. TK, I'm ready to be all elite. Give me the graphic. I'm coming over, baby. And now Tony Khan is booking Diamante in AEW. And let's say that he gets pretty much step-by-step the Jay Lethal push. Jay Lethal has been there six months. He's had some big matches on TV. He works dark and dark elevation constantly. He is a guy that is around. I would put Jay Lethal, and here's where we might disagree, but for the sake of the exercise, I'm going to explain this to you as clearly as I possibly can. I would put Jay Lethal in AEW as a tier four wrestler, meaning that tier one is your CM Punk's, John Moxley's, Brian Danielson's, Adam Cole's. If we're going to be really generous, we'll say Hangman Page as well. Tier two is your Death Triangle. Your Darby Allen, 
your Keith Lee, your Eddie Kingston, your Sammy Guevara. Tier three is your Scorpio Sky, Christian Cage, Jungle Boy, House of Black, Miro. Tier four, I'm going to give you Ricky Starks, Sean Spears, Swerve Strickland, and Jay Lethal. You give Diamante six months. You give him the Jay Lethal push. Let's say he is guaranteed a TNT title match at some point. He's going to be in one or two big featured matches on Dynamite and Rampage throughout those six months. By the end of this exercise, the end of this six-month push, realistically, what tier do you think Diamante would fall into, given how over he is? I mean, the difficulty will, of course, first be language gap and the way that AEW presents their English as second language international stars, right? Yes. That's going to be something that is a unique challenge with him. Like, treating this... I'm treating this on the surface because there's a part of me that wants to say, like, no, Jay Lethal's, like, tier seven. What the fuck you're talking about putting on the same tier? (laughs) Jay Jay Lethal is over. And, look, I said it in the the Everything Elite Discord a few weeks ago. Whether we like it or not, Jay Lethal is constantly having very good matches. I I mean, he's constantly having matches. I mean, very good as a qualifier. (laughs) But uh, six months. So having the caveat that with how the company has treated people who aren't natively English speaking, I think he could get to tier three, if not have like a a performance that would have him peak tier two, but more realistically tier three out of those guys. I can't, I can see him being someone that is massively over on the crowds. Whenever he comes out to elevation, just because of like the stuff he does there and his physical charisma, he will jump out there, but I can't see him progressing anywhere farther than that with the way that this company operates he's never going to be a tier one superstar no not not even a chance not even a tier two to be honest with with tony khan uniquely i'll say i that is where i disagree i think diamante is at a point where he is so good so dialed in and so valuable to any roster, given what he's done for La Estrella, given what it seems like he's going to do for Fujiwara, given what he's done for Dragon Daya, you give him Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen and the Jungle Boy or whoever. I think in six months, realistically, you could be looking at an upper echelon tier two AEW wrestler. I, he's I that just, good. He is Mike. Oh, he, oh, is, he, he is he is that good. Oh. Oh, no, this isn't a talent judgment thing for me. This is their mindset and how I think their mindset sometimes is completely backwards because he absolutely, I mean, he absolutely should be someone that is is solidly tier two peaks and pay-per-view main eventer with his skill level, right? Like that's that's apparent to anyone who watches a 2022 Diamante match. It's just I just can't see. I, I mean, like I hate to like even bring this up here, but like comparing him to Phoenix. Like that's, well, that's the thing. He he should be the generational foil for Phoenix if he ever leaves Dragon Gate, and I well, hope he does not. I hope he stays here for forever. But he should be the generational foil for him. Right. But my point is that I think it's fair to say that Phoenix over the last twenty four months is a better wrestler than Diamante. Like I bet I think some of that is also like the matches he was put in the AEW style and like yada yada but if phoenix isn't the person that's solidly doing that i don't think it's diamante so do you agree with my assessment that phoenix is a tier two AEW wrestler 
Or yes. would you have him lower? I would have I would have him and Penta with the way that they view them as tier two. Pack sadly, I think is below that with the way that they book and the way that the the company is based around. I don't think they view Pack as the, on the same level as the Lucha Bros. I've, I don't think they view him that way, but I've been in the building with, with Pac a few different times now, and I think he's as over as them. It's actually a phenomenon when you think oh, about yeah. it because he's, he's, the, so. he's the one guy who is like, oh, that's how you're going to use him? Like, he's capable of so much more, but he's still that over, so I lumped him in there with the Lucha Brothers. But I, the act, I, yeah. I, 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 think, I think he could be on that level. It's a pure hypothetical. Maybe people disagree, but... It's the only way I could figure out how to, in a way, canonize how good I think Diamante is right now. Because oh, sure. we we throw roses at Fujiwara as we should. We throw roses at, you know, Dragon Daya, Jackie Funky Kimmy, the guys that we really like on this podcast. And, and we've sung the praises of Diamante for as long as he's deserved them. And right now he is just doing some God-tier work where I'm really afraid that some power players in pro wrestling are going to eventually wake up, check out this promotion, and and offer him a lot of money to leave. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is he has the puffy shirt now. He's unstoppable. As oh, soon as... we were supposed to talk about the puffy shirt. I love yes. it. Now, I of course wish that he wrestled shirtless and in smaller tights and maybe without a mask on. But under the current limitations that we have, I love the puffy shirt. Yeah, I mean, given the fact that, like, yeah, I mean, this is a guy that should be having as little clothes on in the ring as possible, given what you're trying to appeal for. Like, yeah, like this. No, just having him as, like, the heartthrob, like, he, like with the uh, the shirt on, it, it's great. It's great it, with the, the deepest V possible. Like, he might as well just be wearing, like, a vest, a puffy vest with what he wears. It rocks. I I, I can't believe in this promotion with gold class existing that they are choosing to clothe Diamante, but that's not my battle to fight. They're, they're choosing to put more clothes on him. It's crazy. He's, he's like, I follow yeah. him on Instagram. He's so muscular and I'm going to, he's so big is the only way I can describe it. And they're putting layers on him. And I just don't, I don't understand it. No, no. I mean, you want to get that 90, that 90% back. I mean, someone's gonna be wearing the dangerous tights now. Uh, uh, Zebras versus. <laughs> we should be laughing while talking about this next match case. PB uh, Hulk and Hio of Zebras defeated Problem Dragon Punch Tomonaga. The only thing worth noting in this is that Hio has the Bamashiri Noa, his parody of the Hakari Noa. And I love the fact that every time they're in Korkin, there are a lot of Hio signs, and the camera person always makes sure to let people know that Hio is over. Joe got the Noah bump. He worked a singles match on a Noah show the day after this. He is a Tokyo era superstar, dare I say. I mean, we not have to, a... maybe not to that degree, but he's over. <laughs> <laughs> we walk that back real quick. <laughs> what, you're going to say that Hio can't sell out Basement Monstar? <laughs> he can sell out Basement Monstar. Yeah, but what he hasn't done anything wrong. I don't want that for him. Yeah, no. no, no it, good boys and girls don't go to Basement Monstar. No, that's joji otani's home base uh <laughs> let, let, let's talk <laughs> oh, boy what a bummer what hell of a wrestler but what a bad guy <sighs> what a piece of shit uh <laughs> unaffiliated tag and boy this th th this was some galaxy brain teams here eita ria fuda and strong machine j defeated ishinahashi la estrella and takashi yoshida 
when Strong Machine J did the machine suplex onto Ishinahashi. And dare I say, Case, Strong Machine J and Ishinahashi got a little thing going on. Yes, I have been known to be a little harsh on Strong Machine J. I was actually thinking about him this week because we just passed the three-year anniversary of his debut match. That was on April 10th, 2019, Cork and Hall, Strong Machine F, G, and J versus the Natural Vibes trio of Genki, KZ, and Susumu. And I said in my review at the time, and I might stand by it, and this is crazy given how much I faded Strong Machine J pretty much ever since. His debut match might be the best debut match that I've ever seen. I gave it four stars, and Strong Machine J was a very active part of that match. It's not like it was Fuji and Gamma versus Natural Vibes with Strong Machine J coming in for the finish. He was he was a player in that match. He mixed it up quite well. And ever since then, there's been diminishing returns, and I've been very questionable of his future and how relevant he could be going forward. But quietly, on the undercard, mainly in Tokyo, Strong Machine J has had a nice little year. There's some guys that he can work with here. Ishin Ihashi, Riki Ihashi, Shuji Kondo. Those are guys that he's wrestled. Those are guys that he's had good chemistry with. And you're absolutely right. He and Ishin have a little thing going. Whatever that is, whatever they got going for them, I like it. Yeah, it's something where for about a year and a half... Whenever I see Strong Machine J, I would actually get kind of sad because he had that debut. And I mean, really, up until his shoulders started giving out, I mean, never took a, a wrong step. Like, especially considering the position he was as like the first second generation wrestler in this company and the way he was knocking out of the park here. It was nice to see that. It was nice to see him back, you know, on the, the right step. I liked him teaming with Aita. I think him and Aita, there's a vibe there that worked really well. Fuda continues looking good. Ishan. You know, wherever Ricky is, uh, we should have asked about Ricky. I don't know what his deal is. Ishan has made that step forward, which is really encouraging to say. Uh, Estrella did a dumb thing, and Takashi Yoshida exists. I I have, I think you summarized that quite well. Yeah, uh, Estrella almost taking out a camera person today. <laughs> Estrella rocks. Like, <laughs> there's kind of an energy to Estrella that is real squirrely, but I really like it when he's like the issue was the he was squirrelier the better. <laughs> he was in he was in Masquerade, which was this perfectly honed, sharp as attack, cerebral assassin to court to seal a phrase unit. Like the you know between. Skywalker and Jason and Daya and Minora, those guys were on point. And then there was La Stray over there, every once in a while, kind of screwing things up. But him in an undercard, kind of unaffiliated tag where he still has that crazy, like, oh my God, what is he going, What what's going to happen is really fun to watch. Shoon Skywalker, but not rolling natural 20 at the right time. He destroyed that cameraman he hit him so hard <laughs> um my note and you can tell me something is that passionate i'll look back at this notebook when i finish this up and i'll know exactly what i said in this match where i said estrella what the fuck <laughs> he's man he's fun to watch but he's in low pressure situations i really yeah. like him he's we were hard on him we were hard on him for a reason but in a meaningless match he is a really fun wrestler to have around yeah i mean something might happen like you, you we can say definitively there has not been a boring Australia match. 
They do not have. No, that is a great that is a great take. A great point. We have never been bored watching La Australia. We have been scared. We have been nervous. We might have even been upset. We have never been bored. It, it just like no, I'm not gonna say that on air. I, I was gonna say <laughs> a certain place being brought about with certain people on the roster that they have worked for that may or may not be outlaws. We should send Australia there and keep all the good ones elsewhere. Boy, that was so vague. I don't even know what you were talking about. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it off. Yeah, let's talk about it off air. Let's talk about this. Uh, what, what was next? The opening match? This opener rocked. I'm, I, I'm much higher than you on this opener. So the opener of this, D-Courage versus Young Vibes. D-Courage D defeated Young Vibes again. And I just really like the flashy stuff in the opening all the way down here. It was... Uh, the uh, JFK eating the full Kness course of Vampire Head Scissors and Darkness Buster Firebird Splash. But I thought that this was just like they could have a Young Vibes versus D Courage match open every Corkin show. And they're always going to be great. I love this. I want four. I want four and a quarter on this, guys. You went four and a quarter on this. Yeah. I was stunned when you were only at three. Yeah. I talked to some other people who liked this a lot more than I did. I went three and three quarters on their match in February, and I thought their February match was not a lot better than this one, but better than this one. And I, I, you know, I, it was D courage versus young vibes. It was awesome. Right. But it's a match I've seen before. And I thought I'd seen a better version of this before. So in February, I liked this one a good bit more. You liked the, the April version more than the February version. Yeah, by three quarters of a star. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll rewatch this, and if I feel differently, I'll post about it at Open Voice Gate on Twitter. I just thought like stuff like the the Turbolino Hakari Noah near fall was it's just great. like just hit me like this is in a special spot. Spot. You know, you got my my tag team and my two favorite dudes, and you had D Courage. Like I I I'm predisposed to at least give this match three and a quarter stars. Like that's the baseline there. And you went with the baseline case. How did hey, I, that's hey, that's, hey, that's my bad Mike. And I, and I hear you and I see you and I'm listening. And in the future, young vibes matches will be rated higher. Thank you. I appreciate that. But uh, <laughs> do you have any other thoughts about Corkin before we dip into this SPK Fujiwara match and get out of here? No, Corkin was very fun to me. The three matches to watch, Fujiwara versus Diamante, the natural, or I'm sorry, not the natural vibes, the uh, Jason and Big Ben versus Zebrats, and then obviously the main event. You have to, have to, have to watch the main event if you have not seen it. And then if you feel so inclined to the opening matches for free on YouTube, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a great match that I just did not appreciate in the moment. I mean, I think we got to reassess this opener of a cork, and I think we need to call you in and talk about it. But yeah, I. I really like this cork and I I they've really turned me on the corkins over the last few months and it, yeah this will probably be released but when this hits your podcatcher you probably will have about 24 hours to watch the show you at least owe it to yourself to watch the Kness retirement and then the stuff that case that case also mentioned yeah if you are listening to this podcast and you have not seen the Kness match you it's you need to make it happen you need to move towards the internet and the the corner of the internet where you can watch the kness match before it's too late absolutely so 
on the YouTube, we had a match from the 10th uh, case. I don't have in front of me the uh, locale there, but it was SBK versus Takuma Fujiwara. Only a little eight-minute number here, but boy, capital P, capital W, pro wrestling. I thought this was a blast. This was in Okayama. This was Sachihoko Boys' hometown. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. A, uh, a hotel where they drew 236. Last time they were here, they drew 110. So they doubled attendance from, I believe that was a February or January show when they were here. And yeah, I don't, I don't have a ton to say on this match other than that it's free on YouTube. It's a 12-minute match that we got in full on a house show in front of 200 people and one day this could headline Kobe world. And they wrestled like two guys that are not that far off from having the, the capabilities of doing so. Oh yeah. I, I, I talked last week about how it was so impressive to watch SB Kento versus Ichin Ihashi because that was SB leading the way. That was him clearly in the ring with someone that wasn't as good as him, but Ishin was in safe hands because he was in the ring with SB Kento. And these were two guys that I, I would assume just given the way that they've progressed, that they're naturally very competitive people. And they wrestled this match like two guys that were going out there to make sure that the fans in Okayama left thinking about them because the main event was Ben K, Dragon Kid, and Yamato versus Big Boss, Shimizu, KZ, and Yuchi, which was a nice little match, but it did not resonate with me the way that SP Kento versus Fujiwara did. Not even putting Sachi in the main event of his homecoming show. No, the uh, the semi-main is Ho-Ho and Ultimo versus Punch and Sachi Hoko Boy, which is a fun-ass sounding match. That is guys being dudes. That is backyard football pro wrestling. They've been uploading uh, a lot of the other uploads. It's been obviously the main event of these shows. It's been Fujiwara. And then they've uploaded a handful of Ho-Ho and Jason tag team matches. The Hong Kong connection, if you will. Fun team. I like their chemistry on these house shows. They've been fun to watch. It, it, it's something that's nice to see them kind of do stuff like that, you know, like, especially for someone like Hoho, like he does not get a lot of featured stuff, but like the fact that they'll put up like those YouTube matches, I, that, that rolls. It's nice. Like, yeah. It's, I, I like, I like seeing Hoho progress. I like seeing him wrestle on Dragon Gate. I, I'm very glad those are being uploaded. And it's something that, I mean, we had the conversation with Jay, but, and I know like his and maybe the company's mindset might be a little different. If you are someone who is international coming into Dragon Gate, the idea that your matches might go on their YouTube show, their YouTube channel, like from like house shows where you will probably be doing most of your matches because you probably won't be going too high up on the card on televised shows, that that that's enticing, you know, especially given the, the, the caliber of the people you'd be facing on those house show matches. Yeah, like an SB Kento or Takuma Fujiwara. Gosh. Yeah, Ho-Ho versus Takuma Fujiwara. Please upload that match. I really want to. I, I would like to see that. So this match, I, there's there's a few things to note here. Uh, Jay tweeted about it already, but he took a, uh, or I believe the, the thumbnail of what was uploaded. No, it's a, it's a picture that Ho-Ho took a screenshot of this match. The uh, Cabradora that Fujiwara does which might be the first time that he's done that, that moonsault to the floor. Do you remember him doing that in a match before this? Uh, he definitely teased it in the Brave Gate match. Yes, I believe that's right, but I don't know if he hit it. All I know is that he hit it here, and the air he gets on this moonsault is absurd. 
he takes he out es- rotates he ta- yeah, that's exa- he takes out sb kento he takes out two young boys and he is very lucky that he didn't whip his head uh backwards against the floor because he it's perfect i mean he is just he's doing new stuff in every match where you go oh my god that was better than the last thing he did like this is amazing yeah, that's something that I actually wrote down about the Diamante match, but it it's worth talking about here. The thing that really surprises me about Takuma Fujiwara, and it makes me, uh, we know about his history with Taro Nahashi doing middle school career day at Michinoku Pro with him. I want to know what his other athletic background is, because his body control, like the way he's able to control his motion, is in such of a way that, there's very few wrestlers that I've seen, like, because he did, like, the Masato Yakasiji arm drag in the middle of that Diamante match. And that's a difficult, like, the body control to pull it off case is astounding. So I'm wondering, I I, I could see him being a former gymnast, like, doing gymnast club, you know? Very much so. That is the way that he moves around the ring again he has so much body control, which is crazy because I, I mentioned the Diamante review and it comes up again in this match. When Fujiwara gets whipped off the ropes, he is officially the best in wrestling until further notice at taking an Irish whip because it looks like he is getting thrown against his will off the ropes and he bounces off of them with such speed and aggression that it looks like he's going to fall over. And of course, he ends up in the perfect spot and he's always able to take the next move, but he is the best in wrestling at that right now. Something that the Mulkey brothers are probably really mad at hearing, Case. I, I apologize to the Mulkey brothers, but Takuma Fujiwara is doing all right. He's handling himself quite well. <laughs> well, that's all I had on the ledger for this week, Case. Do you have anything else you want to touch on before we got out of here? Uh, no, just running down a, a few quick spots in that match real quick. Like I said, big moonsault to the floor. The chop battle was great. And then the finishing stretch. No, it was stretch. sickening. Gunshots. Uh, well, I, I, that's why I was so excited to see this match was SB Kento posted a photo on Twitter right after of his chest and I went, oh, who did he wrestle on this show? Is it Did he wrestle Mochizuki? Did he wrestle Fuji? Oh, no, he wrestled the rookie. He wrestled Takuma Fujiwara, and his chest is beat red. I need to see this match immediately. Drangate threw me a bone. They uploaded it. And then, spoilers, skip ahead the next 15 seconds if you don't want to be spoiled on the finish. But SB Kento hits the meanest spine buster of his life and then makes Fujiwara tap with the sharpshooter. It is so worth your time for entertainment now in the moment 12 minutes of really good wrestling and what the future may hold of this again being a match that you know we could come on the show three or four years from now and go back to this youtube upload and go hey remember when they wrestled in front of 200 people they're about to do it in front of 7,000 in kobe yeah it's just one of those really cool things about this year you know documenting it in real time it's, it, technology can can be really frustrating but also can do some wondrous things amen and uh, before we go, uh, something that worth noting, at uh, Dead or Alive, they have announced the Dreamgate match. Apparently, because of the technological issues, there wasn't really translation of the retirement promos. But apparently, Kness gave him his necklace and they told him, and I'm just paraphrasing it, and some of this is assumption-based, like, go for the big one once again, like, take my power and continue. And he's doing that in Nagoya against... Uh, it gets Kai, so Case, Kai's not, I, I don't think we could, we are talking about where we thought Kai would lose the belt. I think we got to take Dead or Alive off the board now. I, I don't know. Susumu has shocked the world before. He could, I, I'm at a point where he could beat Kai and it wouldn't shock me at all. I thought it was interesting that they uploaded on their YouTube channel the post-match promo 
from that match on the 8th with Susumu and Kai, but they did not upload the match itself. I thought that was a little strange. I don't know why that is, but I don't know. We're, you know, we sit a month out from Dead or Alive. Unless something drastic changes, it doesn't look like we're going to get a cage match this year. Susumu could win. That wouldn't shock me at all. I guess, like, yeah, it's just in normal scenario, Susumu can win. Like, I mean, he's done it before. He's been like the shock Dreamgate champion in recent times. I just look at the time of the year, too. Like, it, like it's nothing against him whatsoever, but given two Kobe Worlds, do you have him wearing the belt trying to sell out one of the Kobe World shows two months later? I, if he retains at Dead or Alive right now, I would say that the King of Gate winner beats him before right. we get to World. But yeah, yeah, like Susumu would would drop the belt before World. Oh, like that. yeah, I get. Well, shoot, I don't know. I think Kai's going into World. Damn it, Kai versus Ata seeming more likely by the day. Yeah, you're right. Oh I man, okay, all right. Hey, and I, I, I like I, Kai. Kai works hard. I like I, Kai. I was okay with him beating Yamato. He got the belt off Yamato. Thank you for your service. But you under you understand why it's hard for me on the biggest weekend of the year to get excited about Kai headlining that show. Oh yeah, no, no. I mean, it's it, it, it's a tough ask, but I mean, I'm looking at the schedule here, and there's not that many exit ramps until Kenan Hall at this point. Was. Okay, so remind me, because the 2020 schedule got really weird. Right. Was Ata was versus Shun the Kobe World main event that year, or was that Ata versus KZ? No, it was versus Shun, because it was Gay of Destiny. Because uh, Gay of Destiny was before Kobe World. They did Kobe yeah. World right now. Like they were like two weeks apart. That was a, cra- I, that was a crazy schedule. Why? Ah. The issue with Kai is that he is the least interesting guy in his unit. And it's not that Kai is not interesting. It's that everybody in Z-Branch right now is lapping him, with the exception of Hulk, who is out of the picture. But, God, I wish they could run back Shun versus Ata with their new characters. That is a million times more interesting to me than Kai versus Ata, which I think you're right. And and credit to you, you you, you called the summer of Ata before anybody else did. And it looks like that's what we're going to get. But Kai... Kai versus Ata is like the third most interesting Ata versus Zebrats match there could be because Ata versus Shun is more interesting and Ata versus SB Kento is more interesting. I mean, Ata versus Hyo, if you're the right kind of sicko, <laughs> i.e. me, very interesting. Ada, I mean, Ata versus Diamante, which is obviously not headlining a, a world show, but I would love to see that at some point. That's the issue is that it's just... Kai is is a victim of being he's he's playing out of his league on an all-star team right now. He's with the most interesting guys in wrestling and he's a nice little player, but he's no all-star. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean, but he also admits that he's in the best wrestling in the world. He's playing out of the league right now. That's so, that's well. my favorite thing and that's one of those, you know, wrestling could learn a lot from Dragon Gate, but the fact that Kai is positioned as an outsider who has come into Dragon Gate because he thinks they are the best wrestlers in the world and wants to win their title, that is how every outsider should be booked in wrestling. I love that that he's not throwing the Dreamgate belt on the ground, that he's valuing this title, he's uh, valuing this promotion. That is so good. Wrestlers are so, re- wrestling promoters are so dumb 
but they put down their own product. Love that. I like yeah. Kai. I don't want him to headline Kobe World. Yeah, I, I think that part of the reason why I brought that up was because I've come to terms with it. And, you know, we're just doing a little bit of exposure therapy to everyone as we close this out here. Which do you think is more interesting, Kai versus Ata, or what some might consider rushing the menorah push? And let's let's give my prediction at the start of the year. The realistic scenario right now, which is Kai versus Ata, or my prediction at the start of the year, which is Minora versus Shun, both for the Dreamgate, both headlining the second night of Kobe World. Which is more interesting to you right now? Uh, I mean, I know what I'm going to get out of Shun versus Minora, and then we can imagine and play out with Shun's character change. And there's a level of excitement there that, that just can't really be there with, with Ata versus Kai. Because because we already have the groundwork on how good Minora and Shun is in the ring. And Kai, there's enough question marks there. I am much more in favor of just rushing the Minora push and saying, fuck it, we'll deal with it later. But I think we're going to get Kai versus Ata Kobe, which should be good. But that's, ugh, I, don't, I don't know. We'll, well, we've got months to prepare for that. Yeah, yeah, just let it be known that on April 12th, Case has come to terms to the fact that eight, that we are in the summer of Ata, baby. That's a dark day in history. <laughs> That's my one life that kind of turns a little bit evil unintentionally. But, <laughs> Mike, so, where can they find us on Twitter? Well, I was going to say before we get out of here, we'll be back next week talking the uh, Hakado double shot. We have, they're going back to, did I say Hokkaido? I'm sorry, Hakata. The Hakata double shot. shot. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. You can follow Case underscore in your case. You can follow me at Fujiheya. That's it for Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next week as we talk about the double shot in Hakata. Take care, everyone.